Hi everyone, David Harris here with you for Criminal Injustice with a news bonus, the verdict in Derek Chauvin's trial for the murder of George Floyd. You no doubt know by now, I don't know how you could not, that Derek Chauvin, former Minneapolis police officer, was found guilty of all three charges that he faced in the homicide trial involving his killing of George Floyd last May 25th of 2020. We've all seen that video, nine minutes of human cruelty and agony. And we, I think we're wondering how is this going to resolve after a summer of intense demonstrations, outrage, interest, uh, discussion, change in your city, perhaps, as there has been in mine. What does it all lead up to? Well, on April 20th, we got the jury's verdict, guilty of second-degree murder, guilty of third-degree murder, and guilty of second-degree manslaughter. Sentencing is set for some weeks from now. Uh, We expect a sentence of a minimum of 12 and a half years, but it's likely to be a longer sentence. I'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. Um, so the, the question I've been asked probably most often since uh, the verdict was announced, were you surprised? Well, I would put it like this. Um, yes and no. I was surprised um, in, in the sense that I have seen too many cases in which police officers who had killed somebody and in which there seemed to be very strong evidence, were not convicted. And this made me skeptical of whether or not, even with this level of evidence, with that video, we could get all 12 jurors to agree. I think most of the trial of Officer Michael Slager uh, in South Carolina, he was charged with the murder of Walter Scott. And you may remember this was caught on civilian cell phone video, and we saw with our own eyes Mr. Scott running away from Officer Slager at top speed, nothing in his hands, and Officer Slager taking a a, a shooter's stance and shooting Mr. Scott in the back, uh, not even summoning medical attention. When a jury saw that and had a full trial of it, didn't get a verdict of guilty. It was a hung jury. It was 11 to 1 for conviction. And that made me cautious uh, when assessing the trial for people. Um, It was a very strong case. I would never have denied that. And it was a very well-tried case, too. Nevertheless, uh, I felt skeptical. And so was I surprised? I suppose, yes, but also relieved. You know, that the jury saw what we all saw. I mean, it took me back. uh, I'm I'm not trying to inject levity or something here, but, you know, from an old Marx Brothers movie, the line, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Well, and the prosecution addressed that. They basically said, believe your eyes. You saw it. You know what happened. 
And with this case, the jury was able to see through the various uh, excuses and so forth that the defense put up, and they convicted. Now, what was that trial like? Well, here are a couple of takes on it from my point of view. Number one, as I said it already, it was very well tried by the prosecution. They had that video, of course, as their centerpiece of evidence. Um, and it's extremely powerful. As we all know, it was powerful enough to ignite a nationwide, really worldwide movement demanding changes in how police act, how they use force, uh, and many, many other things. But the, the, the good thing about the prosecution's case was that they did not rest on that alone. They knew that the only real cards the defense would have to play would be whether or not uh, the jury would agree that the uh, death was caused by Officer Chauvin. Now, that may seem like a ridiculous question to you, given that we've all seen the video. What else could have caused it? But we knew that the medical evidence in the case included at least two important things. Number one, uh, evidence of some kind of heart disease that Mr. Floyd had. And number two, uh, evidence that he may have ingested some illegal substances. And therefore, the prosecution was right to anticipate that uh, those arguments would be made, and they countered them very well with medical experts who said, nope, he died of asphyxia, that meaning, you know, suffocation, basically, from having a knee on his neck and the weight of a man on it. Uh, it was not heart disease. It was not other substances. Um, uh, and, and other suggestions like that. So they made sure that in their own case, they cross those T's, dot those I's, and close those doors. They were also able to do a wonderful job, I thought, persuasively by bringing in live witnesses who were there. That wasn't strictly necessary, but they brought in the young lady who made the video. They brought in other people who were standing there. They brought in the clerk who had called the police at the insistence of his boss when he'd been passed a counterfeit $20 bill. Why did they do all this? They wanted to humanize the situation overall to show its grave impact on everybody. And then they had a chance, of course, to humanize George Floyd himself through other civilian witnesses. They did this um, with his, uh, uh, his current romantic partner and with others. That's all allowed under Minnesota law, and they were right to do that. It really made for a very strong case. And they pulled all this together in the end in a closing argument in which they said the police are not on trial here. Chauvin is on trial trial here. And that was crucial uh, in the sense that it told jurors, uh, a juror might be wavering, thinking, I don't want to blame the police for everything that goes wrong. Well, it's not about the police. It's about Derek Chauvin. And you know that lots of other people outside that courtroom were saying, no, this is about the police as an institution or the Minneapolis police as an institution. And the prosecution was saying, nope, uh-uh. Not true. It's about this man on this day doing this thing. And the result was that 
They had no jurors try to hang the jury. Everybody had enough evidence to go forward. On the defense side, you know, defense attorneys often just have to play the cards they are dealt. And that is that was the case here. They could not argue, crucially, as they do in so many of these police death cases, that the officer was in fear for his life, uh, that it was a split-second decision. Those things usually play a big, big role in police shooting and otherwise killing cases, but they just didn't apply here, right? You know, when you've got um, Officer Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck, looking for, for, you know, for all intents and purposes, like he's, you know, waiting in line at Walgreens or something, you can't argue that he looks like his life is in danger or that he thought something was going to happen to him. None of those things applied. So they were left with the very weak cards of something else caused the death. And now that's not nothing. I want everybody to understand in every homicide case, a homicide is what we call a result crime. You have to prove that there is a connection between the actions of the defendant and the result. In this case, the death of Mr. Floyd. That is crucial in every homicide case. So they were attempting to show that something else interfered with that or actually caused it and you could not lay blame with Mr. Chauvin. It's just that their evidence was not strong enough and it was well countered by the prosecution. So where are we now? Where does all of this leave us? Um, I think, you know, there's a tendency at this point to take two different positions. I hear it from the police side that uh, uh, Chauvin was a sort of a bad apple, that, you know, he doesn't represent all police, that he doesn't represent the whole Minneapolis Police Department, or it's over now, we got the bad guy out of here, he got what he deserved. And by the way, Police didn't have any great, you know, things to say about Officer Chauvin uh, outside or inside the trial. And inside the trial, we actually saw police testify against him. His own police chief testifying against him, uh, another very high-ranking officer testifying against him, uh, a former uh, officer, a retired officer testifying against him. And this, this had two important purposes. Number one, it cuts off the defense argument that he's just following his training, he's following department policy, all that stuff. They said, no, absolutely not. That's not our training. It's not our policy. But more than that, people want to think that maybe this is the crumbling of the great blue wall of the uh, of the practice of all police officers always backing each other up. I think time will tell. I think this is a, a, a pretty interesting sign, but whether this will happen in other cases, we'll have to see. But there is talk on that side of things. Uh, we're under siege. Uh, he just one bad guy. This whole thing, uh, we got to get past it. Um, you know, I'm... <laughs> That is, uh, I think, a sign of what we face. Um, We should not regard the verdict in this case as the end point. It isn't the end point. Um, It is just a way station, a very important one. Don't get me wrong. There had to be justice here in 
George Floyd's murder for what Derek Chauvin did. Now, the Attorney General of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, said, and I think properly so, justice would require a complete restoration to where things were before, and we can't have that because George Floyd is dead. Uh, But we do get some measure of accountability, and accountability, I believe, is a basic, maybe the most important part of justice, certainly in a murder case where you can't bring the victim back. Um, So it's important, but this isn't the end of the discussion about what we want policing to look like, how big we want it to be, what do we want police officers, the folks with the handcuffs and the guns to be doing versus maybe social workers or mental health workers or others. We have had and are continuing to have very important, often heated discussions in this country about the issues of race uh, and how that plays into all of policing, but so many other aspects of our society. And those discussions and those changes must continue. They cannot stop and they shouldn't stop and frankly they won't stop because there's going to be substantial opposition to many of the changes that are being sought right now from folks who think, well, this is enough. Okay, all right, you got your guy. Well, no, it's not over. It's not done. This will be a continuing process. And the leaders that I know best in law enforcement, the people I talk to, they want this to be a transformational time for policing. They hope that they have that chance. They hope that they're not boxed in by people to their right in police unions or the rank and file or people on the left who want to simply abolish policing. They want things to get better. We will see, of course. But in any event, it is a continued push for improvement ahead, and it won't be easy. Sorry to be that guy, but I'm that guy, and I'm here for you. That's it. The verdict in the Derek Chauvin case for the murder of George Floyd. You can always turn to us here on Criminal Injustice for the latest news and some commentary on that news. For all of that, you can go to our website, That's criminalinjusticepodcast.com. You'll find our bonus features like news bonuses, like lawyers behaving badly. You'll also find all of our interviews with some of the most impactful people in the criminal legal sphere telling you what they think is going on today and where we need to head. You can support us here. We're a listener-supported podcast. Go to patreon.com slash criminalinjustice. I'm David Harris, and I'll be back with you next time.